They still have dot matrix printers over there, don't they? Yes. They still have modems. Should I be recording? Hold on. You didn't save the day for them. I had a legitimate moral dilemma. I am recording, by the way, and you need to settle down. (laughs) Hi, party. It's episode 88 of the EdTech Loop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and ignoring the fire marshal's maximum occupancy warnings, it's Danielle Brostrom, Steffi Light, and the technologist David Noller. We've packed up the beach towels and the sunscreen in favor of backpacks, Chromebooks, and this week's Moment of Zen. What is art? It is when you have paper and you don't know why it's paper. Thank you from one of the uh, students from uh, my wife's toddler classroom for that one. It's when you have paper. And you don't know why. And you don't know why. It's paper. It's paper. Wow. Yeah. I gotta go. That's the best. I want to think about that more than anything else right now. I know. (laughs) She said that this morning and I was like, why? Yeah, I need that. Just drop a moment of zen. (laughs) All right. We've lost the technologist. After having our fill of caprese salads and grilled vegetarian kebabs, it's finally time to whip up some Google EDU marinate and slather it on this week's meat of the show. We gave our kid a device. Now what? I love this topic and I think it's the perfect way to start the first pot of the year Um, Mm -hmm. because really we tend to focus on all these different things we can do with the device the the, the goals that we're trying to reach with the device let's let's start at the beginning we we've given them this tool now let's start looking at the those transitional properties of what do you do with it to get to the goal so what do you do what are you supposed to do with the tool to reach your goal and I think this is where um, it beca- kind of becomes a thing because in our district, we do give kids a device in sixth grade and they get to take it home. And it's 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 theirs to manage and um, the parents' job to manage. And I think that um, this is a great podcast for parents because we do need to give them some advice on what they can do to help manage this new uh, media that's going to be in their home. Um, on Twitter... We had two comments, two comments that came through when I asked this question, and I thought they framed it in the two in two ways that maybe we should look at. The first comment um, from, and I'm going to get his name wrong, and he's all over Twitter, and he's a great follow, Anthony Locriccio, maybe. I don't know. I apologize. His comment, it's a learning tool, and it's yours, so treat it as if it's the last one in the world. I think that's a great way to look at it, because it is. It's A, it's a tool, and that's one of the things we're trying to focus on this year, but B, it is access to everything. And how important is that as um, an educational tool if they know how, if they have the foundational skills to use it appropriately? The other one was from Danielle Brostrom. Practice balance every day. Shut the device down once in a while and look your friends in the eye. I think that's great. And really it comes down to thinking about those two, two comments. First one, what can it do? Second comment, what should it not do? We're giving them this tool. What can it do? So I think the first thing that parents do need to know is that all the Chromebooks that we send home are filtered. Schools are required by SEPA to filter. We filter all school-owned devices. So um, they should be not able to access content that's inappropriate. I know that's a lot of parents' concern. Um, But I still think you should set up your home network and filters Mm -hmm. to do some filtering on top of that. But um, but we do have some filtering within. So it is 
it is open, but how do you teach kids to use it for good and not evil? I guess that's that's another part of this. Mm-hmm. And how do kids learn that the like they they're in charge of the device, the device is not in charge of them. So that balance idea, how do they learn the skills and adults need those skills too of making sure that you're not letting the distractions get to be too much and that you're limiting yourself on real lifetime and time on a device. So one of the things that we have thought about at home is that the device, whether it's the the Chromebook that we give them or the the smartphone, um, it all fits within and under the same umbrella of family values. So if something is something that we believe in for reading books or watching movies, the same is true of uh, smart devices and computers. If um, having them access uh, something would would go against what we think is right and good and just and true. It's that way on on a mobile device or on a Chromebook as much as it is anything else. So I, I think it was important for us to have that conversation early about what would mom or dad expect? <laughs> uh, and when I'm in the classroom um, and kids have choice reads where they get to pick a novel or pick a short story to read, I always have a line about um, make sure that you're selecting something that fits your your family's set of values so that um, whoever you are responsible to um, will be okay with your choice. When they get the device and they bring that device home, that is the time to have that conversation. Sure, mm-hmm. to have that intentional conversation about uh, where does this fit within the context of everything else that makes up the family values and the family expectations? 100%. And I think um, the biggest thing that I would want parents to know, too, is that they can always take that device away. Mm-hmm. The school gave it to you, yes, so that your child could do homework and research and do other educational things. But you are, you as parent, you are in charge of what happens in the home. If you want to take it away, take it away. If you feel like the amount of time that they're spending on it is too much, have a conversation with that child's teacher and see if the amount of time they're spending on is appropriate to the amount of homework that they're getting and blah, blah, blah. But just as a parent, parents sometimes don't, they just need that permission to know that they can take that device away. We're kind of discussing specifically Chromebooks, but I think this is applicable to any time you're introducing a digital device to a child. For us to presume that the first device that the child is getting is our Chromebook, I think would be disingenuous, mm-hmm. or, or at least, sure. or at least, yeah. So let's hope that the parent has already had that discussion with the child mm-hmm. when they got their phone or they got their iPad or whatever device that they you know were first introduced to what specifically about a TCAPS Chromebook should they be discussing or doing first thing first thing that a parent should do when that when after that, we've already had that discussion of values and all that yes. from previous devices you know, you made a comment earlier about how, you know, treat this like it's an educational tool and it's the last one on earth. And I think that speaks back to the idea that they're not ever going to think that way because they already have one probably in their hand, the the uh, smartphone or the tablet or whatever. They've been using those devices a long time. And so I'm thinking about it from the instructional point of view uh, about the management of the device as a learning tool. The first thing I did when my kids brought theirs home was charge it. Find a place every day that you're going to charge that thing and charge it every night. You're responsible for that. It's like taking care of a puppy. You give them the jobs that they have to do, and they have to do them every night. Because if they don't, the puppy cries. 
We don't want the puppy to cry. If they don't charge their device, the teacher cries. They don't charge. <laughs> well, again, you know, I've come from the high school perspective, and I kind of have this line about if you come with an uncharged device, that's a you problem. That's one I'm not really probably going to solve for you. Uh, that's one that you're going to figure out how to navigate through that on your own. Um, now, I'll help kids when they absolutely need it, but I like them to think of that as a responsibility that they have. And if they create a roadblock for themselves, they got to figure out the bridge to get over it. So, And it is a device that that is different from what they have at home, most likely, because it has this extra layer of it's coming from school and it's being given to them to, to complete homework. And I think that is an extra um, discussion point for parents. And I think parents do sometimes feel like, okay, the school gave this to them. I have less control over it as a device, but it's the same, it's, it's a device in the home and it has all these educational applications, but there's also lots of distractions, of course. So I think parents have to feel empowered that it's okay to manage it and help your child get those, you know, even the logistical steps in place of taking care of it like mm-hmm. a device, but also it still has the power to, um, it still needs to be harnessed and it, it, it's parents still have that ultimate that control over the device, even though it's coming from school. Now I wonder about the the distractibility. We know that you know distractions are a click away, but you know I grew up with with friends and and other people who their note taking guide became a place to doodle on. Mm-hmm. You know their their book even became a place to drop pictures in or to whatever, and and so. The depth of distractibility is certainly increased because of the interactive nature of what they can access or videos or things that they can really sink themselves into. Um, But in terms of the device itself being the main cause of that, I think it's more like the habits of the kids. Mm -hmm. And often what we see is the kids that that tend towards distraction, whether they have a device in front of them or a blank sheet of paper, they're going to find a way to do something other than what they're supposed to. Whether it's watching YouTube or writing their name and then outlining it in 95 different colors with magic markers or colored pencils. Haven't we all done that though? Yes. I mean, haven't we all started watching yes. something that made sense to what you were doing and then eight YouTube videos later, uh-huh. we are watching Rabbit cat hole. videos. And and yes, I've done the same thing with doodling and then realized mm-hmm. I missed half of the lecture. Yeah. So how, I, I do think it's just important to be honest with kids about that, that, hey, this happens to all of us and the tech is set up right. to keep us hooked and keep us down this rabbit hole. Yeah, and, so. I, and I think it's important, you said something about being honest and telling them that, to let them know, look, I get caught down the rabbit hole too. Once you recognize you're there, look for the light. It's a meditation thing, isn't it, Larry? <laughs> look for the light. I was thinking that same thing. I'm like, this is, this is mindfulness practice is yeah. really what we're talking about as far as this topic's, topic is concerned. And that there are kind of anti-distraction tools out there. I know there are different apps on phones to help you know, keep you on task, mm-hmm. um, timers that you can do. When a child is invested, if they're invested in what they're doing, they're going to be much less likely to want to be distracted. Mm-hmm. Now, they're going to get distracted, as we've all said. You wanted to, you wanted to watch that, the, the TED Talk, or you know, a, a conference, or whatever, and you get distracted. It's If they're invested, 
they're going to be much more likely to recognize when they're distracted and then want to do something mm -hmm. about it. So with that being said, what can we do as far as making the tool that it is something that engages them? Okay, you have this device. Let's assume we're safe on it. Now what? Now, I'm thinking of this from the teacher's perspective. That's perfect. Okay. So I give my kids short um, deadlines, like you have five minutes to do the following. You have three minutes to do the following. Um, I rarely give them something where they're on their device that takes longer than five to seven minutes. Because, and I, what I'll do with that is ask them some sort of interesting, engaging question. At least I hope it is. <laughs> right? Yes. It is. Um, in creative writing, I'll, I'll give them a prompt that hopefully they've never thought of before. And um, I'll allow them to write for five to seven minutes. And then I give myself permission to cut them off. <laughs> Who's still writing? Oh, you are? Okay, well, wait. I give myself permission to cut these kids off to try to give them used to the, a sense of urgency when it comes to thinking and writing. So I think asking interesting questions providing short deadlines where there's no time to be distracted. Because if I give you three minutes, you're going to need all of it for that question. And if you get done early, what are you going to do for 30 seconds? That's going to get you down the rabbit hole. So that's one thing is that intentional planning with short deadlines. The other thing is that when I give them activities that take longer time, it's something kind of complex or it's something where they're, they're doing the designing of the learning as they do it. So giving them lots of options in terms of what they're going to kind of collect as a resource as they create mm -hmm. the thing that they're, they're, they're doing. The exploration is built into the... It is. And it's, it's guided so that it's not just go find, but it's here's a set of resources. Start here. So I've preloaded a little bit with um, things that I know will work so they don't get down the Google rabbit hole. Um, but you preload it with some things that work and then say if you've, if you've used these and you've gotten so far but you want to go further, then you can. But, um, but again, even those are, 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 are stepped in a way that here's your first task, you have about 10 minutes, go. Okay, well, let's see what we got. Okay, you never got there? Okay, I'll talk to you in just a second. Next thing is about seven minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, find this and do this thing, go. And I, I use the expression on the market set, go a lot in class because I want them to think of it like not it's a race, but there's some urgency to the timeline. So as a parent, when you're at home and you don't have control over the task that the child uh -huh. has to do, um, you, you could do the same thing, though, with this kitchen timer, like what we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you work for 10 mm -hmm. or 7 minutes, go. Yeah. When you're done, take a break, shut it down. Let's go do yeah. something else. Check in, see where they're at. Yeah. I intentionally structure my classes that way because as much as we want to say, get the kids up and moving around. There's not a ton of ways to do that authentically. It just feels like the amount of time we want to spend them moving will never reach. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. there's going to be some time in the seat that they're just going to have to spend there. But if I can move it along with some energy and have them move, do different thing and different thing and different thing and step it in a way that um, keeps them interested and motivated. When I'm thinking about myself as a learner, because I'm taking grad classes and the first time through when I was in school, I was not distracted by having phones or having any uh -huh. of this. And so I resorted to using a tie, like if, and especially if it's something where I'm just consuming or reading or doing something I'm 
not that because I'm of course very engaged in reading, but if it's something that it might not be the most engaging that I'm working on, I do have to set a timer so that I don't end up on my phone mm-hmm. signing my kids up for soccer or doing whatever else is yep. scheduling X, Y, or Z. You know, I'm not playing crossy road, but you're still distracted by what sure. all those other things. And you know, when there's something that you're engaged in and you're doing the creation, it's easier than being the consumer of the information. Right in a lot of ways and it's um but i you know same thing like i have to manage it in the same way as like little kiddos i'll find i'll start doing something on a short story and then learn something about an author and that he was in a war and then i have to go read up on that and then oh wait mm-hmm. this was invented during that time and then i have to go read that thing so i get stuck in those rabbit holes too and i do the same thing i set a timer on my watch and mm-hmm. i've got all these like preset little timers and if i have a thing that i know i have to get done i'll set a timer for 15 minutes from now and just let it buzz me am i still on track it's so prevalent it's not that any of us are more or less though we are more or less distractible mm, me but everybody mm-hmm. especially for uh, for for adults i think it's almost more of an issue for adults and you know, we've talked about this in, in the past really for parents mm-hmm. One one of the great things about what you were saying though is that 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 ten minute period mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is then you're paying your attention to your kid every ten minutes, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily happening because guess what, you're you're down the internet rabbit hole, you yeah. know, as well. There's so many things that that are that our adult lives are full with, but with the kids, there's too. It's not all necessarily YouTube and. And uh, Instagram, it might be, um, you know, texting with their friend because they had a bad day and you're the one that's supposed to provide them comfort. I had to deal with that last year. There's so many things in their lives that are important to them that are part of that set of distractions that I think we have to recognize that and give them a little bit of space to be able to encounter those things like we do, but then teach them how to take a break from that and let's get done what we need to having that conversation early having that when you introduce that digital device prior to them maybe becoming a little jaded or already being down that rabbit hole having that conversation this will it's not a question of it might this will be a distraction here are some tools we always set a timer for our kids when they were in elementary school for their homework Um, and it was like 30 minutes we just set the timer on the microwave and we'd have them work for 30 minutes. And when the timer went off, they could do whatever they wanted. But we always did it in chunks like that. And I didn't really think about that because it's been many, many years since they were in elementary school. That was the thing we did for our own kids, just to give them a work time and then a go be a kid time. And then come back and finish your work time <laughs> and then go be a kid again. And that and that involves some hands-on on your part. Yeah. And, and I think really the best way to model and help kids to do that is to be hands-on with them. and mm-hmm. and and manage, you know, okay, you're gonna be on this, you're gonna work on this for this amount of time and I'll check back with you. Unfortunately, there is no easy way to set them up with the perfect, there's no perfect app that will do all that for you. And I think the, the perfect app is the parent or the caregiver who's mm-hmm. involved in, in, in helping monitor, and, monitor and model. That's what I was thinking too, is that parents do, I mean, and me too, man, I, I'm working and trying to keep the house up and everything that has to be done when you're an adult and managing your kid's time on this device is a pain and it's complicated and it's tricky. And oh my gosh, I just want to push a button and have it done for me because mm-hmm. I don't have time to deal with it. I mean, that that's the reality, but you have to do it. This isn't like something that you can 
opt out of, really, because the media will parent for you. If you don't, this is something that you really have to do. And I think just the, I think we need to know too that everyone's kind of going through it together. You're not mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. Right. We're definitely talking about the same thing. We're all down the same rabbit hole, so it's, it's, <laughs> we're together. it's good. Um, but we're talking about attention, mm-hmm. really. Recognizing that attention on a task is what we're trying to get our students to be able to maintain. One of the neat things that David had said was pre-device building some some skills. I think that's a really interesting way to look at this. Is there are there are a lot of digital skills that can be pre-built before they get the device, and having some um, mental discipline regarding attention mm-hmm. before they get the device. You know, early. When they're when they're they're maybe a little more moldable, Mm -hmm. not in eighth grade, Mm -hmm. (laughs) turns out, might be good. It's not giving them the device; it's recognizing that they are going to be living in a digital world. There are some skills that we can develop before they get the device that would be really useful, so that when you hand it to them, they're prepared. What would those skills be? Just dropping that one, boom, sure, go get them. Well, recognizing when they've gotten off task and having having an idea of okay, how do I get myself back on task? You know, is it then I do need to set a timer or I need to switch to a different activity that's away from whatever I've been distracted by? I think, I mean, to label, okay, right now I'm off task. Now what? And have a plan. I think working with your children and your family on being present, being um, focused on who you're with, when you're with them, focused on, it's it's the same idea, just really focusing on the idea of being present and not being distracted by 18 different things. We're getting right around that time for sure. I wanted to talk about when we hand that device over to one of our students, what does that mean for staff? What responsibility do they have once they've given that tool to a student? I I think it changes how you interact with students and how you plan and how you design your lesson. Because if you're not intentionally using the tool, then you're just sort of randomly hoping that whatever you're going to do works. You wouldn't come into a classroom and hand a kid a textbook and say, find some neat information that you want to report out. You'd build in some structure to that. You'd build in some parameters. You would give them a certain amount of time to get it done. You would suggest a a manner in which they could report out. You would plan intentionally with your tools in mind. The devices shouldn't just be another way to fill out a worksheet. So I think one of the things is that we want teachers to think about intentionally planning so that they know that they're about to hand their kid a task that's going to have them on this device for X amount of minutes. Are you okay with that? Can your kids handle that? Are they ready for that experience? Um, and I think if they can ask those themselves those questions and say yes to those, then okay, we're ready to go. If there's any trepidation, then maybe we need to be a little bit more intentional about that planning and what it is we actually expect to happen once we engage the kids with that device. My other thing for teachers is this. It's okay, like you say, to take the device away Get used to saying lids down, please, or however you want to say that. And it's it's not optional. This is a time when our lids are closed. I do it all the time. I use my devices with my kids all the time, and they 
they know that when I say let's down, they go down, then they come back up. And Chromebooks are so fast in terms of starting, stopping and starting that that's okay. But if you forget to say let's down, that's when the kid gets off task and that's when teachers get upset. Well, there's such a distraction. And I think if, if parents touch base and say, my kid's spending X amount of time on this device, you know, all night, what to be able to communicate what your expectations were with the tool so mm-hmm. that they can help gauge like, okay, they are way out of bounds for these reasons that, you know, this is what the teacher was looking for. And, and be mindful of what the kids are getting from, for our secondary, from all their other classes. So, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is a reasonable expectation for amount of use on this device? Right. And do they have to, you know, what's that big picture going to look like? And for parents to understand, and like all of our teachers are, are thinking through those ideas and how to communicate those if a parent asks. Um, in the classroom first half, I would just remind teachers that you don't have to use them. You know, goes back to the whole uh, Liz Cole stuff. Use it when it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense just because the kids have them, doesn't mean they have to use them. Mm-hmm. They can pick up a real book. It's good for them. Sure. I have uh, a metaphor I use pretty regularly where there's the movie um, Uncle Buck. Uncle and he's making pancakes. <laughs> and normally we use a, a spatula to make pancakes and you flip them over. So if you're going to use a spatula to flip pancakes, that's fine. If you need a snow shovel, because you're Uncle Buck making a three-foot-wide pancake, use a snow shovel. But if you're making little six-inch pancakes like you normally would, the snow shovel's too much. So use whatever tool makes sense for the task that you're trying to do. If it's a book and paper, use a book and paper. If it's the internet and Chromebooks, then grab the snow shovel. It's interesting. Technology? Mm Mm-hmm. Is no longer cool. Right. It's neutral. It just it's neutral. is. What you can do with technology as a tool can be cool. For these kids, the internet has always existed. Times be changing. Mm-hmm. Anything else? There's, uh, there's. I mean, there's a there's ton a more. We're just out of time, so. I think there's a lot more to talk about to right. be continued. All right. Hey, do we have a tech tool of the week? REM C has this amazing course called 21 Things for Students, and it is something that teachers can use in the classroom, but I even think that this specific lesson is beneficial for parents. They just released a new um, Quest 5 called Balancing My Media, and I love this, especially in light of our discussion today, because it has some great um, video resources, some great vocabulary, some great um, graphic organizers to help kids kind of organize their thoughts about their digital media balance, and there's just a lot here um, to help families and kids learn about how tech has us hooked and how we can try to break that. And I, I just think there's a lot here. So I'll share that in the show notes. Tutorials and updates, not a whole lot. I did see a Chromebook care and management tutorial yeah. from, from the technologist on That's YouTube. Right. So we'll definitely have that in the show notes. Um, just wanted to point out again, it's we have a, we're hosted on a new site, Podbean. Podbean is the new podcast poster so you can find us now pretty much everywhere and uh the podcast podcast will now be transcribed so you can read the podcast so very exciting there um in closing follow us on facebook and twitter at tcaps loop at brostrom da at technologist at Steffi Light. All right. Um, subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. Leave a review. We love the feedback and we love your questions. Uh, thanks for listening and inspiring. That was that was all over the map. That was a tricky one. That's a-